The Whole Health Cure with Dr. Sharon Berquist, the podcast that brings you inspiration and skills for living a healthy and fulfilled life. Welcome to the Whole Health Cure podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Berquist. On this podcast, we explore the science and provide inspiration and skills for living your happiest, most fulfilling, and healthiest life. Today, I'm joined by Lindsay Legree. Lindsay is the Senior Advisor at the LimeAid Institute. In her Senior Advisor role, Lindsay is responsible for providing strategic and operational guidance to LimeAid customers, prospects, and internal stakeholders. Lindsay shares key industry research with the employee experience market and provides innovative direction to the LimeAid product team. With nearly 10 years of customer account management and B2B software sales leadership experience, she's deeply knowledgeable and interested in the intersection of technology and people. Lindsay is passionate about improving the way people feel about work and making workplaces more human. Lindsay, thanks for being back on the podcast. I'm so thrilled to be back, Dr. Berquist, anytime. Yeah, so Lindsay, I'm gonna, um, you know, I wanna talk today about mindset. Before I get into that, I want to, you know, first for our audience, just ask you to describe what LimeAid does. Yeah, great place to start. LimeAid is an employee experience software company. So we believe that we can make work a, a positive part of people's lives, something that generates energy and acknowledges their humanity and is, gives them purpose and all these wonderful things. And we use technology to help companies show their people that they care about them, show them that they support their well-being, and in general, help organizations craft a positive and an enriching employee experience. Um, it's a lot of fun, it's an, and I, I think it's important work to be done. Yeah, it's phenomenal capturing that intersection between technology and people and workplaces. And can you talk more about the types of software, you know, some types, like if you get, you know, emails, like, you know, people tend to not open and delete, right? How is the nature of the software such that it engages people in workplaces and managers to improve the work experience for their employees? Yeah, that's a great question. So our technology, so we have an app that's, you know, also available on the web and the desired experience when a user comes into our technology is that they feel cared for. So you may open up the app and see that there's a new mindfulness challenge, encouraging you to incorporate meditation or or a daily reflection practice. You may find out that there's a message from leadership about what's going on at the organization as it relates to transitioning back into a physical workplace. So you feel like the organization wants you to know what's going on. You may find out that there's a working parents employee resource group that's having a meeting about helping kids transition into summer and then back into school, just helping you feel like you're a part of this work community and that this entity, this organization cares about you. Sort of bringing together things that we've historically kind of scattered all over in the workplace and centering all of that around your well-being. When we put employees first, and center and we surround them with care and support, we think that beautiful things happen and, and technology is a way that we can do that. Yeah, that's what I love about that approach is so often there are apps that are third-party apps, but there are kind of what you should do 
after work, <laughs> you know, or, you know, take a break and do it, uh-huh. but they don't integrate the wellness component of what's going on in your work. Right. Right. That's a great approach to incorporate that and um, have people learn about ways that they can, you know, in their work day or within their organization find support. Right. And when we think about how much time people spend at work, if we can make that work day one, 2% better, more positive, less draining, more enriching, more generative of energy, more acknowledging of your humanity, that's going to also impact those hours outside the workplace. So if we can make work and the work experience more positive, we can have a positive impact on people's lives and well-being in general. Yeah, and I know you do some research from the companies where you have implemented the software. Um, What types of feedback or surveys or results do you get from the employees who have experienced this type of software technology approach? Yeah, there's certainly some beautiful sort of life-changing examples where, uh, you know, through learning about financial well-being and also being connected to company resources like a financial advisor or a 401k plan, you know, people built saving strategies and bought their first home, you know, or um, employees telling us that they, they feel connected, they feel celebrated. One of my, my favorite examples is one of the things you can do within the technology is send a cheers. You can sort of recognize a coworker for whatever it is. And we have a lot of flexibility there. So with a lot of our customers, we like to help them brand those cheers to be aligned with the organization's values. So I can now celebrate my coworker for the behavior, for the actions that align to these values, these aspirations that we have as a company that tend to sort of live on a poster on the website and and not really be part of our daily living. But I was visiting a customer, um, a manufacturing customer, and they had this wonderful habit of um, highlighting the employee who gave out the most cheers every month. And it was this certain, it was this particular individual, this man who had worked there for a long time and he had won it like three months in a row. And I got to meet him while I was there just ha- happenstance that he was sort of walking by and, oh, this is so-and-so who always sends the most cheers. And he said, it makes me feel better. I feel more joyful. I, I recognize how great these people are that I work with and how we make our one another's days and lives better. You know, and that's a manufacturing organization where I think unfortunately a lot of people have kind of thrown in the towel, like we can't do anything to make these uh, types of workplaces, these types of organizations better. And I just don't believe that. Um, So those are some of the stories that really give me a great deal of energy when I understand the human impact that we're able to have. Oh, that's wonderful. And and tell me about how the name Limeade came about. (laughs) The single most asked question. so it's funny, people usually think that I work for um, like the Lime bikes, you know, those bikes that you can rent in cities, or they think it's like actual Lemonade, Minute Maid, Lime Maid, or depending on how old they are, they think it's Lime Wire, which was that music downloading that gave your computer all sorts of viruses. So the, the origin of the name Lime Maid is we want it to be a refreshing approach to how we do things. There are a lot of things about how we approach organizational well-being, the employee experience, employees in general, that's pretty out of date. You know, there's this sort of industrial revolution era 
baggage that we have. Like, I wish I could just hire a set of hands, but it's got a brain attached kind of thing. And we want it to be the refreshing approach. Let's do this differently. Let's do this in a way that feels positive and playful and fun and joyful, which we think Limeade kind of captures. So that's where it came from. Oh, excellent. Oh, that's, that's a great story. Um, and I want to talk to you about um, really the topic of mindset, because it's so critical in this whole context that you just presented of being happy in the workplace and engaged and fulfilled. Um, so when you use the term mindset, what does that mean to line need and in what context are you using it? Yeah. So when I think about mindset, I sort of think of it as the characteristics of how our brain default works. You know, it's the, the way in which those neurons and those synapses just naturally fire. And they're also, it's also malleable. You know, we can become someone who has a more blank mindset. I think mindset is a way that we can describe how our, our brains work and function. And in the context of the work that we do at the Limeade Institute, you know, one of the big meta questions is how do people improve their well-being and why does that happen for some people and why does it not happen for others? Why are some people able to successfully shift the way they take care of themselves and why do other people seem to struggle so much? And so we wanted to investigate what could that be and so we were really fortunate because we had this beautiful and massive data set um, from our well-being assessment. And within our well-being assessment, um, we've been very committed to whole person well-being for our 15 years as a company, like from day one, even when people thought we were crazy. Um, and so within that well-being assessment, we ask about a lot of different mindsets, a lot of different characteristics to how your brain works. Things like openness, optimism, gratitude, purpose, self-efficacy, sort of belief in your abilities, emotional regulation. And so we wanted to see, is there anything there that sort of relates to how people are then able to make changes in their lives? And we kind of thought about them as activators. Like, is there something that activates within a person their ability to, to change their circumstance? Is there something that activates their ability to take ownership of something about their quality of life that they don't enjoy and do something about it. Because it's no small feat. And so is there something that catalyzes that to happen? And so that led down the investigation of this half a million data points, um, looking at that mindset data that we had and understanding what's going on when we look at, at these mindsets. And I'd be happy to share some of that research and what we found. Um, yeah, I want to um, really talk about both. I want to talk about which are the activators you discovered, and, and maybe you can, you, maybe you backed into it from the research outcomes, or maybe you started that with some, you know, your hypothesis going into it. But yeah, if you could speak a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So we were investigating eight different activators, eight different mindsets, and I'll kind of walk through each one, and I'll give a a brief sort of summary of, of what it is. And I, I'm sure a lot of people have kind of heard about these because they've also tended to be sort of hot button trend topic buzzwords at different points. Um, so the first is resilience. 
Resilience is sort of our ability to bounce back after adversity. Uh, I think we've heard a lot about resilience over the last couple of years, which is, uh, we can talk about. The second is mindfulness, the ability to bring ourselves back into present awareness of just this moment. It is about acting with awareness and intention. The third is optimism. So just the general inclination to have a positive outlook on life, both what is happening to you right now and what may happen in the future, sort of seeing the glass half full. The fourth is optimism. So often optimism at, or openness as um, a willingness to be and embrace new experiences, sort of the extent to which you are imaginative and creative and allow for information that may challenge your existing assumptions. Purpose is the next one. So this is a sense of directionality, meaning to your life. Um, it can be derived from lots of different things. Work is one way and, and source of, of purpose for people. Gratitude is the next one, sort of a thankfulness and appreciation for life and a, an inclination to view the world through the lens of seeking things that I can be grateful for and focusing on those. The next one is self-efficacy, sort of the belief in my abilities. I can do this. I can make changes. I can do hard things. Uh, and then the final is emotional regulation, which I think about as the ability to create space between a stimulus and a response. So when someone cuts me off on the freeway, how much space is there between getting cut off and my reaction? You know, And generally, the more space we can create, the less likely it is that that reaction is expletive and hand gesture in nature. And the more likely it is that it is focused on, they probably didn't wake up this morning thinking I can't wait to cut Lindsay off on the freeway uh, and we're all safe and let's keep moving on. So those are the eight that we looked at. And the first finding I think that is powerful is that they are all connected to one another. And if we go back and think about a few of those, it sort of makes sense. If I'm going to be grateful, I'm going to need to be present in the moment to acknowledge the thing to be grateful for. I guarantee we have all had incredible meals that we would have been so grateful for that we didn't even taste because we were doing a million other things <laughs> while also eating. Um, you know, the relationship between optimism and self-efficacy believing that good things will happen because I am capable. So they're all interconnected. And here are sort of the implications of that finding. Start anywhere. You know, I think I mentioned this, we've sort of seen these hot button buzzword things, you know, for a while it was a mindfulness, 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 the last year, year and a half or so it's been resilience. I personally am a little tired of being told to be resilient, <laughs> like it's been hard. And so I focus somewhere else. And I know that by focusing on my emotional regulation, it's also going to make me more resilient. So I almost think about them as, as different doors to the same room, the room of a, of a healthy, thriving mind. Uh, and, and that's important. And that has implications for how we think about how we can use this powerful science in the context of workplace well-being strategies. And we can certainly talk about that. I think the next finding was the relationship between these activators, these mindsets and outcomes we care a lot about. So we found that people who, when we sort of bundle all eight together, we would generally categorize as like positive, strong, healthy mindsets. 
had higher levels of well-being, higher levels of employee engagement, higher levels of productivity, and less stress and more manageable stress than those that had lower levels of mindsets. And this kind of makes sense if you think about it. Like, let's say I've decided I want to take on some new habit. I really want to save an additional $200 a month. Let's say that that's sort of a well-being habit that I want to achieve. Now, let's say I have really low mindsets, really low activators. This, the story that I'm probably telling myself is, here we go again, Lens. Another thing you're going to fail at. Money is always going to be stressful to you. There's never going to be enough. You're never going to be able to do this. Why are you even trying? And you're probably going to feel experience, you know, experience emotions of stress and anxiety. Now, if I am someone who has high activators and I'm trying to do that same thing, save an extra couple hundred bucks a month, you know what? Yeah, this is going to be hard, but Lindsay, you've, you've done hard things before. Remember when you wanted to be able to do your first push-up and it took you a year, but you stuck with it and now you can and how cool that felt? You've got all sorts of people you can reach out to. You know, you've got that friend who's a financial advisor. Maybe they have some tips. Or I remember seeing something about work, having this budgeting activity. I'm not in this alone. People are here to support me and, and I can do this. You know, who, who do you think is going to be more successful in achieving and accomplishing that end result, that habit or behavior? And th that's where I think this has such profound implications for how we administer organizational well-being programs. We tend to focus on the symptom, the end result, the habit, the behavior. We almost have these checklists of what we just want our employees to do. I want you to not smoke. I want you to be physically fit. I want you to exercise. I want you to eat well. I want you to sleep enough. I want you to not be stressed. All of those are habits and behaviors. And the root cause of whether or not we have those habits or behaviors go back to our minds. It kind of is all predicated based on what's going on between our ears. And so if we shifted the focus from here's how to eat more healthfully, here's how to exercise more, here's how to get better sleep. And we went upstream and we focused on, here's how to become a more optimistic person. Here's how to make your mind more naturally inclined to gratitude. Here's how to strengthen your resilience. I think a lot of those downstream sleep, exercise, mindfulness things would resolve themselves more fluidly and naturally and more sustainably. I completely agree, Lindsay. I think, um, you know, oftentimes even in healthcare, we start with the what you want to accomplish. Sometimes we get to the how we're going to do. We almost never get to the why you want to do it. Right. That really speaks to mindset. And I do think we need a different paradigm of how we incorporate changes. This is great work to find the activators and the outcome benefits. For someone who has a low composite score from all these activators, so they have um, kind of a, a low mindset in terms of this ability to make change, how does that person mold their mind to a more positive mindset? Like how much is it, hey, here's information, go do it. How much is, hey, we need to coach you because you're in this mindset and, and you can't break it until we kind of guide you 
through it, how does that process happen to mold the mindset? Right. I think it is different for each person. And there are certainly things that it is important to acknowledge that validly make this more challenging for others. You know, the thing that comes to mind are, you know, social determinants of health, social determinants of mental health, the very different experiences that people of different underrepresented minorities have in this country. You know, that's valid stuff that's going to make it a little harder to be grateful if every time you leave your door, your life is in danger because of something that you have no control over. So I, I think it's important to acknowledge that. But, and, the beautiful thing is the inherent malleability of our minds. Our brains have plasticity and we can make new stronger pathways in our brain. I think a lot of people find that hard and, and maybe haven't experienced it. You know, I, I almost think about some neural pathways sort of feel like the Grand Canyon. Like, how am I supposed to get water to go anywhere else? This is a deep, strong, highly myelinated pathway within my brain. And sometimes those are not great ones. Maybe the strong pathway in my brain is you're a loser, Lindsay. You know, that's gonna be tough to build a new and different road, a new and different path for my brain to go to, but it is possible. There's a great video on YouTube that I found way back in college that sort of explains how you myelinate new neural pathways, how you make these new connections in your brain. And it's sort of like building a bridge over a canyon. You know, initially you gotta just toss that rope over to somebody on the other side and hook it into something. That's that first time you write down what you're grateful for. And it feels so lame and so phony. And like, wow, this turkey sandwich is so good. And you're like, this feels so weird. Well, yeah, it would feel weird to walk over a bridge that's just one rope. But then you put another rope and then you have two ropes. And so you can start to put some foot pads and you can slowly build up. And then once it's a rope bridge, you start traveling back and forth over it more seemingly. And then you decide, you know what, let's make this thing concrete. And then let's put some lights and let's put some sidewalks and all these things. And you can make new roads, new paths for your brain. And as you spend more of your thoughts and your mental energy in that pathway, it also makes that old one a little weaker. Your brain starts to kind of get less good at going to the, oh, you're a loser place and a little better at the, wow, there's so much to be grateful for about who I am as a person place. And so that's the process. And what makes that process so hard is you do have to go through the weird clunky, it's so much easier to think the way I used to think process. And I've experienced this firsthand. I committed a while ago to developing a gratitude practice and I had the journal and it was on my nightstand and I'd write this stuff down. I was like, I'm so grateful for my health. I'm so grateful for my family. Like it just felt so kind of forced and artificial. And over time, I observed my brain shifting to where I'd be driving when I used to go into the office, I'd be driving into the office and I'd be like, I wonder what I'm going to see on my drive to work that I can write down in my gratitude journal tonight. You know, and then I would see Mount Rainier on my drive to, you know, I live in Seattle or the water in the lake would be glistening or a great song would come on the radio or I'd get a loving text from a family member or something. It's almost like, do you remember Pokemon Go? When that was all the rage and everyone's running around the whole world looking for these little creatures to capture. 
I kind of think about, uh, specifically with gratitude, that's kind of what a grateful brain feels like. It's looking all day. It's searching for the next thing to be grateful for. It's like an Easter egg hunt. You know, they're, they're everywhere. I just need to find them. And if we think about moving through a day in our lives, Pokemon going for things to be grateful for, how different is that than how your brain naturally goes through the day today? And how might you experience being alive with that kind of mindset? How would that be different than today? Where maybe it's, oh, nothing can go my way. I'm so stressed and so exhausted. Nothing is, everything's hard. You know, it's different, it's different. Yeah, and you know, as I'm hearing you speak about adopting this practice of gratitude, Lindsay, it's really striking to me the importance of consistency. So maybe starting with the mindset of patience, right? Mm -hmm. And understanding that you may, it may not resonate on day one, you may not even feel different on day one or day three or day 10, but that you have to have this leap of faith that it's taking you down this path that you're training your brain Mm-hmm. to really think differently and that that will empower you. Yeah. I think it's interesting to think about habits and that's kind of what we're trying to do. We're trying to create mind-based habits. It is easier to do something 100% of the time than it is to do it 90% of the time. You know, it's if I told you to make your bed six days a week, it's easier to just make your bed every day. And so if we think about making that the destination where this just is something I do every day because this is what I do every day, I, it's, it's an integrated into how I, I live and experience each day. And I think one of the things that can be helpful for people who are on that path and are, who are gonna need that patience is to leverage some of the behavior science of you know, BJ Fogg, for example, where attach this new thing, this habit, of gratitude, for example. You could choose any of the activators, you choose any of those mindsets, but let's use gratitude. Attach gratitude to something you are already doing and you kind of don't have a choice in doing it. So sometimes bodily functions can be very helpful here. Every time you go pee, you think about things you're grateful for. Or every time you stop at a stoplight. Or if you make your same cup of coffee your same way every single day and if someone told you you couldn't it be a problem that you feel sort of territorial about attach gratitude to that thing and then it becomes a little bit easier uh because you don't have to find the time you've just attached it to something that already has earned time in your day yeah and i i think your point about there's so much science behind these activators mm-hmm. so just trusting that even if you don't feel different after the first expression of gratitude or the second, that you have to trust that this is something that's worthwhile in terms of persisting with, Mm -hmm. uh, as are all the activators that you mentioned. Um, And, and, you know, like you said, you just have to start somewhere. (laughs) And it may not be gratitude. Maybe that one feels particularly hard for you right now. Maybe there's some stuff going on in your life that's just making it tough to feel grateful. Maybe it can be about mindfulness. Maybe you can focus on what it feels like to feel air leaving your nose and coming into your nose. Or maybe you can set an alarm on your phone and once a day you check in with each of your senses. 
I say, what am I smelling right now while I'm sitting at my desk? What's, what is the taste of my mouth right now? How does this fabric feel against my skin? Can I hear any birds or animals or is it my washing machine? What am I seeing? Name three colors you're seeing and grounding yourself in your present using your senses. You know, maybe that feels more reasonable to do right now. Finding different ways that you can try on different mindset tools, again, knowing the science that they're all connected. So wherever you wanna start is a good, great, perfect place to start. And it's gonna sort of, that concept of a rising tide raises all ships very much applies here. Um, so I would encourage listeners and organizations to think about how can you create space and priority for people to develop these kinds of daily rituals? Yeah, and I, that's such a, um, a great message. Lindsay, with the time we have left, um, I wanna see if there's anything you wanna mention about mindset, because it's so powerful. Mm -hmm. uh, if we haven't gotten to it, or even um, maybe what an individual can expect from the investment into it. Yeah. Um, in, in how it can impact their experience of life, right? Because everything takes energy yep. and, and, and really why should we be investing such energy? Um, if you could share that, that would be wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to share that. And then I'd love to just quickly talk about what this can look like in a workplace, because I think sometimes we think we like check our brains at the door and we have this different work brain. So I think the reason is because you deserve it. You deserve to have a positive quality of life. You deserve to have these moments where you go, this is kind of great. You know, it's not every day, it's not all day, but it happens where you go, oh yeah, this is good. And I guarantee that that is available to you. And it's about almost tuning your radio frequency to one where you can see that. And that's where doing some of this mindset work can be so powerful. And then I just quickly want to talk about how this can show up in your workday. And I specifically want to talk right now to people who are people managers or who own meetings. I would really encourage you to think about how you start your meetings and starting your meetings with a moment of gratitude or a win or three deep breaths. People will think you're crazy. I, I know I've been there when I, uh, had my own book of business of clients I was working with, I started this. I said, okay, we're going to do, I called them well-being moments. We're going to start each meeting and everyone's just going to say something that's going on that's positive for their well-being. And they thought I was such a hippie. <laughs> they were like, she's nuts. They said, just stay, stick with me for six weeks. If we really, if it's really bad at the end of six weeks, we'll stop. Okay. And so the first couple of weeks they're mailing it and they're like, well, uh, I switched to an artificial sweetener instead of sugar in my coffee. You know, I made kale. <laughs> I was like, okay, let's keep going. And I remember this one meeting with this particular customer where there were two uh, women on the line and one woman shared that she, the night before, had set up her dating profile, her online dating profile. And how she was kind of excited for this new chapter that she really did want to find partnership and love and, and she was looking forward to it. And then the other woman shared that her, she watched her two daughters plan a lemonade stand for that weekend. And she was just struck by what a privilege it is to raise children and to watch them enjoy being together and how she was sort of watching memories be made. 
I get chills just talking about it now. Um, and I, I, that was, I left that meeting going, we did it. Like, this is what I want. This meeting is now that habit in their lives, that place where I sort of force them to recalibrate how their mind works. So think about that in the context of your daily work. Is there a place and a space where you can be the person who takes the risk, who goes out on the limb and says, we're going to take three deep breaths together. And we're going to focus on how that breath feels coming in and going out, or we're going to, I'm going to set a calendar reminder and tell somebody every week what I love about working with them. You know, you have the opportunity to do this at work. And if work can be the place that this happens, it can have really profound um, impacts on people's quality of life and well-being, which is a beautiful opportunity. Well put. And I think if more people do as you do for your team, it really changes culture, right? And I think that awkwardness becomes less awkward right. over time. Um, so you're also making it easier for the next person, if you will. Exactly, that new hire who has their first meeting and they go, oh, wow, this is a norm here? A yeah. norm, a cultural norm is that we do gratitude? Oh, what a different world would work be if, if that was consistently true. Wonderful. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much. I, I appreciate everything that you've shared today and the work that you're doing around mindsets is just so powerful in, in showing the difference it can make in outcomes you know, for individuals, for organizations. So thank you so much for joining us again today. Yeah, I'm absolutely happy to be here. I'm, I'm glad that we did this work when we did because I do think as organizations and people transition into whatever's next, this is gonna be a season of change and some challenge. And so it's a great time to think about bolstering and strengthening your mind so that you can cope with and adjust to whatever's next in a way that doesn't deplete you. So it's a, no time like the present to get, to get started on this. Thanks so much for having me. I, this was so fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again. The Whole Health Cure is brought to you by Emory Lifestyle Medicine and Wellness. For more information about wellness assessments, classes, and other resources, please visit our website, emoryhealthcare.org livewell. This material is copyrighted by Emory University.